Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And we are very happy to announce that we are back on schedule with our weekly recordings. Whoa, weekly? We've never been weekly. Bi-weekly, Bi- I should say. Let's set the bar a little lower than weekly. <laughs> yeah, bi-weekly. Yeah. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, so um, Anna had COVID and strep throat back to back. and Yeah, getting the anniversary episode out turned out to be a lot more difficult than I was anticipating, having you know lost my voice uh, with strep throat and everything. So it was a tough... Uh, I guess I was sick for about like a month, actually. It was yeah. a bit of a long go, but... We are now back to our normal episodes like format where we're just covering chapters. So today we're covering chapters 18 through 24 of Wise Man's Fear, picking up where we left off in like early March. It's now May, so it's been quite a while since we have visited our favorite characters. A hot minute, one would say. Mm-hmm. So I think we left Kvothe at an interlude. Yes. Um, it was the chapter where they had all all the townsfolk had come and done their like own little funeral funeral thing. Oh yeah, for Shep. Yeah. So he um is jumping back into the story at the beginning of chapter eighteen. So I think I am pretty ready to just jump right on into it. I don't have any major announcements or anything. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. All right, chapter eighteen. Wine and blood. Delicious. Mmm, a fine vintage. <laughs> but um there's a interesting opening with this chapter where we have uh will sim and kavoth over at the aeolian and kavoth is still brooding and having as anna would say a poopy diaper over seeing (laughs) denna with ambrose he's just so uh, it is he's got a poopy diaper about it just king mope just like so (laughs) upset about denna being with ambrose i mean we posted like our favorite fan art for that episode of his like mega frown yes Yes, yes. So he's obviously very upset, as to be expected. Right. And so, you know, he kind of needed to take some time away from the archives because he was just like... He was using them as like an escape to not think about Denna and Ambrose. But Will and Sim have finally like pulled him out of there and they're like, we got to go out. We got to do something fun. We got to get you not thinking about like constantly being in here. Yeah. So You need some fresh air, kid. The boys are at Aeolian, and they're ready to play some cards and get turned and have a good time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like just like a fun afternoon. Yeah. And so, as they're playing cards, who happens to show up? Ugh, Dana. <laughs> sick of her. I like her. I mean, I like the mystique and the mystery is constantly frustrating, and she's always kind of bouncing around from gentleman caller to caller which is i just feel like she's one of those characters where every time she appears it's like a whirlwind of like oh wow she's here and kvothe gets all like excitable and then she leaves and he's like kind of a little bit of a mess after every time puppy love it's literally like the definition of it i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) why does the world revolve around her and speaking of which (laughs) she gets there and she goes play along yeah so they immediately as you said have to revolve their world around her yeah because someone else is just like chatting her up and won't go away so she's trying to use them as like a distraction and so simon eagerly rises to the challenge of being like where were you we've waited an hour (laughs) yeah i know he's so eager to help yeah and so 
she grabs them a bottle of wine and they start to like chit chat and hang out. Turns out she's been looking for them. Yeah. She said like what, two span? She'd been checking around for them. Yeah, and Kavota's still kind of brooding. He's like, oh, no. Yeah. He's not trying to... He's not being particularly coy, but he's definitely not giving any real information either. Yeah. And also there's like an interesting little tidbit of lore with this whole interaction where um, they have like a really nice bottle of wine and... Oh, yeah. He's saying, oh, is this even a good vintage? And I believe it's... He says like only... Or Denna says only wines from Vintus have a vintage. Yeah. Which is like champagne here. Like only champagnes from France, the Champagne region of France are real champagnes. And the rest are just bubbly wine. Mm. But I liked the play on words with vintage and vintus too. Because like wines have a vintage, like how like old they are. So yeah. I thought it was just very clever, Pat. Very clever. An age invent. It's clever. I liked it. I no, don't know. That's cool. I thought it was neat, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so um, they start playing cards and they ask Denna if she's ever played corners. And oh, I just she, love this. She's she like, takes them no. for a ride. Or what is it your grandma always says? What's that phrase she uses when she plays mahjong with people? And a she... boom crack. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. When she wins. Taking them to the cleaners? Taking them to the cleaners. Yes. Yep. Denna absolutely takes it to the cleaners. Yep. So she... She gets paired up with Quoth, right? So they're on, like, a team, essentially. Yeah. So Denna unleashes her inner Joyce and becomes my grandma and takes them to the cleaners. A boom crack. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're playing the game, and she pretends not to play. So she basically, like, card sharks them yeah. into thinking she's no good because at the beginning, Will is like, well, we can play a practice round. And she's like, no, no, I'll put my money in. Like, don't you worry about me. And Is then it she, true like, you play for money? Like, Oh, yeah, really hamming it up. And then she, like, fucking wipes the table with them. Yeah. So, Kvothe catches it, like, one second before Will and Sim. But it's actually kind of funny because he's usually so sharp. Yeah. No one can really ever... Pull a fast one on him. Right, but Denna can. She's, like, the one mystery that he can't figure out. I feel like with her, though, he always has, like, horse blinders up and is so, like, awestruck and, like, distracted by, like... His infatuation with her that he's just like, dang. Yes, I get that sense exactly. Like, she's probably not nearly as mysterious as she's made out to be, but Kavotha's just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, though. <laughs> Nothing could be more mysterious than her. And it's like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, after a couple of hands of cards and after she gives them a well deserved thrashing, um, she asks them about, like, magic and that like what they study at the university and was wondering if they could like explain it to her like how magic works right and is is this why she was looking for them to get this answer i think that's definitely part of it okay. and i think also you know classic dana was like oh i missed you kavoth which like yes but also yeah but she also wanted some information this time i think yeah because she seems really disappointed at the end of the conversation when she doesn't get the answer she was expecting but right i'm getting ahead of myself yes so she does ask about information on what are some of like the schools of magic at the university and obviously wilson and kavoth are kind of like you know we really can't yeah we're not supposed to say and so she's clever where she's like well I have some information to trade for you, and it's on the like how to 
all like my feminine secrets. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll trade a earn, secret for a secret. How to earn favor with the gentler sex? I mean, she just she doesn't tell them that. She just points out two women that are been checking them out all night. Yeah, but they didn't know that. Right, but it's not like she gives them like a step by step guide of like how to earn favor. No, that's fair, but she kind of alludes to it as if that was the. Uh, that's what I thought she was gonna give them. Yeah, like the mystique behind uh, the offering of knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. She also offers a bottle of something else, like a a special vintage bottle. Yeah. In addition to the one she already had. Um, and they kind of, like, aren't sure at first if they can trade because Kvothe's like, well, it wouldn't really be breaking any laws. And Will and Sim are like, actually, yes, it would. Yeah, they talk about how, um, it would fall under unsanctioned divulgence or illicit revelation, Will says grimly. Does Will know so many laws because he's a scriv? Partially because he's a scriv, and I'm sure after seeing other students be... Like, could both be whipped or this or that. Like, you tend to figure out what the rules are pretty quick. Yeah, I, I guess it was more like his actual terminology of the laws was mm. pretty surprising to me. Yeah. But I also don't really, like, we don't know much about Will himself. No, I think it's other than, like, his family were wealthy merchants. Yeah, and he studies... What does he study? Because <laughs> Sim does alchemy. Yeah. And, like, Will's big, like focus is that he's a scriv mm-hmm. so i think he does like more of like the mundane classes rather than like add up sympathy and like yeah that makes sense so um they, they do begin to describe some of the stuff like artificing and uh probably the biggest flex of the schools of magic other than naming which is sympathy and it- how it works and so they give like the different examples with the um, raising and lowering of the coins. Yeah, which is pretty similar to how Ben explained it to Quoth, like, way back yeah. when he first started learning. So it was cute. He used the same example. Very full circle. Um, but yeah, they. I mean, they agreed to show her because I think they said it was pretty quiet in the bar and, like, no one would really mind too much if they saw what was going on. So they pull out their coins and start doing sympathy. And they explain it as, I mean, obviously everyone at this point in the books knows kind of how it works. But Quoth compares it to like simple machines essentially where like if you have like a lever or a pulley you can lift something bigger than you normally would be able to with like just your strength of your body and then he's saying that like the magic is like your mind becomes that machine and Dana's not super impressed yeah she's like okay so your energy money changers like yeah that's the exact term she uses which i think she's kind of like oh yeah and then so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the really funny part where they're talking about, like, light and heat energy and friction. Oh, yeah. And then Simon just, like, frantically rubbing his thigh under the table. And it just looks like he's, like, rubbing one off. Yup. Yeah, classic Sim not knowing what he's doing. And then immediately realizing, it's all just energy. If you keep doing it, you'll feel it get hot. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, like, wicked embarrassed and mortified. And, like, Willem is just like, I'm going to pretend I don't know you for a minute. I know. Willem just takes the stoic approach and he's like, mm mm. <laughs> Literally. But yeah, they're comparing how, because Dana's like, I understand how heat and light are connected, but like, how does, how do you move things? Because um, both had pulled out his sympathy lamp at one point and yeah. was saying that the heat and light are connected. So yeah, so Simmons like being a little obscene, <laughs> yes. not realizing. 
which I think is hilarious. And then um, Kavoth does do some showing off when it's he's talking about how you can like oppose someone else's ALR and he's like raising the coins and Will and Simon are trying to lower the coins. Yeah. Yeah. And he brings up at this point, and I think this is the first confirmation, but he says he can do a five part binding. Yeah. And I don't think we ever knew before how many he yeah. can do. So which is very cool. They also I'm not sure if it's before or after this part, but they talk a little bit about malfeasance. Yes, and so huge foreshadowing. Yes, 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 yes. And actually why it's titled this chapter of uh, Blood and Wine, where... Um, oh, I never pay attention to the chapter titles, and you do, and it's always something clever. Rothfuss plans ahead. He I just really never... Does. By the time I get into the chapter, I forget what the title was. Mm. But um, in this circumstance, when we're talking about Blood and Wine, like he's showing the example that if you could use the fire he connected like a drop of wine to the fire and like heated it up and then the rest of the cup and, and it boiled. boiled and it was basically saying like oh you know that's why you never want uh sympathist to get a drop of your blood and Dennis then i was like why why would you why would someone do that and simmons says oh it's called malfeasance we don't do that and she's like if you don't do that why is there a name for it yeah, Kua says it hasn't been done for 100 years. Yes. And they specifically mention that 100-year mark multiple times throughout mm-hmm. the book. So I'm wondering if there was some big event 100 years ago that like finally pushed them to stop malfeasance. But that's not that long ago in the no. terms of like the time frame of this book. If we consider the creation war to be about 5,000 years ago, 100 years really isn't that long. No, it's really not. And... I didn't realize how many multiple point foreshadowing with the upcoming chapters and what happens to Kavoth that this really lays the groundwork for. Yeah, it's kind of surprising because it seems almost like a recap chapter of like, don't forget everyone, this is how the magic of this book works, which is like not how Patrick Rothfuss writes things. Mm. But when you consider all the foreshadowing of what happens to Kavoth, like, and we're going to discuss it this episode, it's very important. Yes. Um, but that kind of takes us to like the end of their explanation and Dana's really disappointed because she thought there was a type of magic where you could just like write something down and it would make it true. Yeah, she said that if she saw the writing or someone could read it, could it make it true for them? Who do you think told her this? Like, where did she get this information? I have a feeling this is like a tidbit from Master Ash. That's what I was thinking, And I think it's, like, stringing her along either to manipulate her or give her her hopes up, where it's, like, he's either saying, like, I have, like, writing about you or information for you that's only for your eyes, and if someone else sees it, they'll have power over you, so you need to do exactly what I say in order to keep, like, whatever I have, like, a secret. But if she just finds out that's not true, I'm almost wondering if she is trying to get away from Master Ash and someone's told her, like, fake information about how to protect herself. Mm-hmm. And then when she found out it wasn't true, she realized she was more stuck. But I also wasn't sure if she'd heard this from Ambrose because he, she was just like seeing him recently and he's another student at the university. And I didn't know if he was just lying to her. But it seems like a much bigger subplot point with Denna that yeah. someone's given her this information. And I think if we pay attention down the line, this is going to come up because she... She looks disappointed and thoughtful, and she quickly puts, like, the mask and the facade back up. She was like, oh, just something I heard. It sounded too good to be true. Like, yeah. I think this piece of information is going to come up again at a certain point. We just got to keep our eyes peeled for it. I think it. it's going to be pretty pivotal, whatever it is. But 
it's it's frustrating obviously i'm not always frustrated with the scenes with denna but i feel bad for her in this situation because she almost seemed like she thought she could get out of some kind of situation using this magic and now she's realizing it's not true and i think she's maybe run out of options somewhere and is feeling trapped but again who knows i made that up based on just like her interaction with them and how she reacted to the information right so but in exchange for all of that she does give them the uh information of her feminine wiles yes (laughs) yep there happened to be two um Two lovely ladies at the bar. And they'd been checking out Will and Sim the whole night. Yep. And so there's actually some interesting world building going on with this. Where they kind of um, open up to the fact that um, Diok and Stanchion are like a couple and they own like the alien together. Yeah, it's very like casually slid in, but it's like a LGBTQ like positive moment in there. Yes. Which is pretty cool because yeah, it comes up because the two women Denna pointed out. I don't remember if it was Will or Sim, but they were like, oh, well, they're with that guy at their table. And Dunn is like, they're not with him, with him. Yeah. And <laughs> Sim is just, like, not worldly enough to, like, pick up on anything. And he's like, I thought Diak and Stanchion just, like, owned it together. Like, yeah. they own the alien. And she's like, no, they're... My close good friend. <laughs> <laughs> and they were roommates. Yeah. <laughs> and they were roommates. Yeah. But, so um... they're a couple, but also maybe, like... An open bisexual couple? Unclear. Yeah. Because uh, she just kind of vaguely brings it up. But it's so funny because instead of giving it a term in this world, like... Um, well, it's funny because uh, Simmons says, what, Diak isn't sly. Oh, he does which, call it that, which I don't know if that's anything in like, our world. I didn't take that as like a negative thing, just like... No, I just didn't know if that was any slang in like our language. Oh, might be, but I've never heard that term. But then, uh, this was what the good one was. I think Den is like, what do you call them? Lucky? Tired? Like, ambidextrous? Yeah. And then Kabul says, ambisextrous, which is great. I just thought it was instead of like providing a term, Den is like, I don't know, lucky? Yeah. Tired? Like, interpret it however you will, but it seems pretty positive, which oh, is yeah. cool. Very good. So, and so, because I have seen, um, in the fandom some complaints about like, how few women there are in the books and how almost like more than half of them quotes interested in like a romantic or sexual way mm. and kind of like downplaying s- sexuality in like maybe a negative way uh in the books a little bit i've just i've heard people say that it's one of the reasons they don't like the books huh um it's an interesting is that women approach. are kind of or not approach um perspective I th- I think I always took it as like close a fifteen year old boy, yeah. But he, almost every woman he comments on like their appearance, and like Fela's always described as like shockingly beautiful, and then like obviously Florian's like a sex goddess, and he's obsessed and then with Vichette, Denna, and, then, yeah. and Vachette's sexual, and like the only one who's not really is like Ari, and Mola. Yeah, I mean, I think. Part of it is the writing, and part of it is the fact that Kavoth is, like, 15 and just, like, a 15-year-old boy, and that's, like, their perspective. Yeah, I but don't know. I, I can understand why people would have that perspective now. I never really considered it. I, I do get a little frustrated that there's so few female characters in the books, mm. but I, I'm more interested in, like, the subplots of yes. the story to be like, ugh, I'm not going to read it or anything. Yeah. Obviously, I love the book, so... 
So the chapter ends up kind of just transitioning over to uh, Kavoth taking Denna's arm and leading her out of the Aeolian. Chapter 19, Gentlemen and Thieves. Um, so this is a short chapter about Denna and Kavoth kind of walking around after the Aeolian. And, you know, they're just chatting as they do. And about... catching up. It's been a little while since you've seen them. It has. And... But also, like, Kvothe's not particularly talkative at the beginning. She's like, where have you been hiding? And he's like, mm, the usual rock. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm he's... getting the perspective that he's, like, Scorned. excited to see her. That's a perfect word for it. Perfect. Um, but then he remembers that way back when, and I'm, it's, like, been so long since we covered it on the pod, but Kilvin had said that that girl was... Sorry, everyone, we've been joined by our cat, so if you hear weird microphone sounds, it's her tail slapping into it. <laughs> um, Kilvin had said that that girl had come looking for both the university or a redheaded boy who'd sold her a charm. And so Kvothe's like, oh, maybe it was Denna, which is really weird because people described this girl to Kvothe and it didn't fit Denna's description. No. But there's a funny pun because um, Kvothe says, oh, I sold her. A she said I sold her a charm. And Dennis says, I never mentioned your abundant charm. I did look <laughs> for you at the university. So I just liked the uh, double meaning of charm there. <sighs> but, you know, obviously that wasn't the girl that came looking. So Kvothe gets no answers about that. So he says he went to visit her at the Gray Man, but she'd already gone. Um, and she reveals that Kellen and her had a bit of a falling out. He was obviously paying for her rooms there, so that's why she's not staying there anymore. Yeah, too many gentlemen callers, as it were. Yeah, Kellen's a bit jealous. Kellen is... Well, it's like the classic, like, I want you to wait and be ready to like see me at a moment's notice. And like she didn't like feeling like a bird in a cage. Yeah, and I can't really blame her. He Financially, yes, he is like providing her things, but she doesn't owe him anything. No. And she's not like his pet, so yeah. Not very... Not uh, cool, bro. No, he does let her keep all the gifts he gave her, which was nice, because I don't think you should take gifts back from people. So she gets that, like, really nice gem, uh, I think it's emerald earrings and necklace, so that's a bit of, like, a safety net if she needs it. Yeah, and she was mentioning that, too, that it was, like, a good uh, backup. Yeah. Um... So then there's that whole part where he was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry if you got kicked out because of me. And she's like, it wasn't even you. It was Joffrey coming over a bunch because he was a dumb dumb. Yeah, Joffrey. <laughs> you know what? If you spelled Joffrey with a G-E-O, you're probably a dumb dumb. Yep. Sorry if your name is Joffrey with a G-E-O. Sorry, our number one fan, Joffrey. <laughs> oh, no. No, I just feel like that's such a typical, and it's probably because of Game of Thrones, but it's spelled G-E-O in the books. Yeah. Um. So I feel like it's people just associate that with like. Not a great character. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fair. So soiled it, soiled it. <laughs> yep, they ruined it for everyone. Um, one thing she does pepper in in the conversation though is that when she's talking about the necklace with Kvothe, she's like, "Oh, it'll be helpful if I don't hear from my patron soon." And Kvothe says, "Oh, after Trayvon, like, are you really still expecting to hear from him?" And in book terms it feels like that happened so long ago yeah it's been just about a month stop it feels like a lifetime it's, ago yeah so it's also then like kvothe's an idiot if it's only been like 
for sake of argument, like a month or two. Mm-hmm. How? I mean, granted, he was like exhausted and delirious, but he had that whole conversation with Nina and didn't oh remember god, her. Oh my god, you're right. That wasn't that long ago. So for like someone to show up and be like, someone sold me a charm and it's like... And my brain is like, oh, this girl, she must have found Kvothe after like a whole year and gone to the university looking for him. But if it's been... He says literally after... He's been out of contact for more than a month with no order at all. So I would say six to eight weeks. Yeah. That's not that much time. So He's being really dumb about this situation then. Yeah. Wow. wow. Good callback. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, Denna then goes on to, like, basically a, a recount all of uh, Joffrey's bad decisions and mishaps. It's kind of interesting she has such a soft spot for him. Yeah. Because she's kind of, like, she's been on her own for so long, so I'm wondering if she has, like, a younger brother or something somewhere. Either that, or I think maybe he reminds her of a very young version of herself when she was very, like, ignorant to the world. Yeah, she's had to grow up fast. Because we do get some more, like, classic Denna background info, where she then describes how Joffrey fell for, like, um, what she likes to call rook or like a scam with pawn shop owners. Yeah, I love that last chapter was like the boys' secret world of the university, and this chapter is like Denna's secret world of like this kind of scam situation. And again, back to um plot and titles, gentlemen and thieves. We initially always think of Kavoth being a gentleman and a thief, oh. or in this time the gentleman being Kellen or Joffrey, and the thief being Denna. Oh shit double meaning there's so much meaning in these chapter titles and i never pay attention yes, to they're them they're always clever you just gotta take a minute and like think about it that's so good i think it's because there's no table of contents at the beginning of our books so i mm. never like got to scan all of them but i'm gonna try to pay attention to them from now on they're fun but yeah the rook she describes is like this situation where someone pretends to be like oh no i came to the city to sell my like my wedding ring or like my mom's last piece of jewelry I have from her, whatever, you know, you make up a sob story and then you like pretend that someone offered to sell it for you, but now it's in the pawn shop and they didn't give you the money and now you can't afford the, to buy your own ring back essentially. And you just rope in some poor sod who like agrees to help you. Yeah. And then like you split the money with the pawn shop. But she also describes it like, The way that you know which pawn shops are willing to do this is, like, certain ones have markings on the doors. Yeah, which is really cool. Which is really cool, and it also reminds me of Yelish Knots, which is something that Denna learns later. All, like, secret codes and stuff. Like, she probably has, like, a proclivity for it. Yeah, she's, like, very much like a spy, which fits with how little we know about her. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Adds to her mystique and renown. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but then it's funny because then she goes into this whole thing with Joffrey being an idiot and falling for this rook and then like somehow being like, I got your ring. You don't have to worry. Now go back and save the farm. Like it makes no sense. So he like spent all his money. Yeah. And then she gets further he gets, infuriated like, further, and frustrated. He goes to um, a galet. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, foreshadowing, because in a few chapters, Will and Sim find out that Kvothe has gone to, quote-unquote, Demon Devi, the Gaelit. Yeah. And they're all upset. 
So he gets into debt with someone and I'm wondering like how much worse it's going to get because apparently now he's not Joffrey's not on speaking terms with his family and his mother's really sick and no one's sending for him to come home. Oh, I forgot he was still in the city. I just kind of wrote him off, but I wonder if he's I still mean, there. mentally, like it's, it's only a matter of time before like his his luck time has... in Imray is coming to a close, I feel. Yeah, it definitely is. I assumed he would just go home, but mm. It's unfortunate yeah. that he doesn't, you know, have a little bit more sense about him. I mean, it's very realistic. You come across It happens to so like many that. people. Like, it's very easy to get taken advantage of if no one's ever, like, told you. And in this world, if you come from, like, an upper-class nobility kind of family, it's it seems more like you're sheltered from the world because you have this privilege where you don't need to be, like, as street-savvy. And it's coming back and, like, really affecting some people. Yeah. Which is such a bummer. And then so as they continue to talk, um, Kavoth either notices that Dennis ring isn't gone or she brings up that she started seeing someone at the university, a.k.a. Ambrose. Yeah, they're... Um, he also does like a weird thing where he goes to like... Um, Get his, like, oh, get something out of the pocket of his cloak. Oh, she's wearing his cloak, and he goes to reach to the pocket, and... I think she thinks he's trying to, like, grope her. Yeah, like, hop a feel, and she's like... Yeah, she gasps, um, and Kavoth is, like, whips his hand back and, like, is so startled and embarrassed. Because, you know, he's, like, very honorable, and I don't think he has... Like, yeah. He, oh, he's he doesn't have go... any intention of like ever taking advantage of Denna. Obviously, he's like romantically head over heels for her, but like mm-hmm. he would never force it. Yeah, I think he was going to grab something to um, close the clasp on his loot case. Yeah, his really shabby loot case, which again foreshadowing, Denna notices how shabby the case is. Yes. In this chapter. So yeah, it's it's very awkward, um, and it's just after that that he notices Denna's fingers because she's like fidgeting with her hands because i think she's feeling a little awkward and that's mm-hmm. when he's like where's your ring you wear it all the time and of course then like oh how did you notice about that about me thinking that like no one cares about her at all i think and unusual. just in her monologue being like i know everything i never stopped thinking about you um all on the surface nothing <laughs> but yeah she says that ambrose has it and kavoth is in his words filled with acid and ice I love that description. It's so visceral. Yes. It's so, so accurate. Um, it's so, oh, it's so. It's a gut clenching anxiety, sick to your stomach, just. Yeah. Like numb. Like there's so many emotions that go with that. That is very well written. It's just written. sharp. Yes. <laughs> but Dennis is like, oh, he has a rough charm about him. Well, a little more rough than charm, which calling back to at the beginning said Kvothe had abundant charm, so kind of pitting Ambrose and Kvothe as exact opposites. Mm. Um, Foils. Yes, yes, yes. Also, back to everyone knowing how Ambrose is with women and being physical. Yeah, he clearly got, like, too pushy. Yeah. And, like, not okay. But, um... Yeah. And so Kavolt at first is like, must be getting serious, and she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, on the third night... Uh, she said things went sour and they had to leave. 
Um, she says he kept showing up with poems, and of course, that's like again the exact opposite of something Quoth would do. So he's like relieved. Finally, though. he's so relieved because this is all he'd been like thinking about and like trying to not think about by escaping to the archives for so long. It was like, oh, Dunn and Ambrose, boo! All I have my work. That's all I need. Yep. Uh, and so she realizes that the, or he realizes that the ring is gone, and Dennis says. Um, he, jeez, Kvothe says he might be able to do something for Denna if the ring was important. Obviously, he knows it's important. And yeah. she says it was important. Yeah, um, she's mentally written it off like I'm never getting it back. Which is interesting because, oh, I guess she realizes that Amber still has it. I was going to say she has the necklace and the earrings she could like trade for it. But if it's in Ambrose's possession, it's out. That it's like classic Denna's nature to run and just like, she yeah. doesn't get attached to things because she knows nothing in her life is permanent she doesn't have the luxury of doing that right so like in her mind she's like well that's done i think that's like the one thing that she could easily carry with her though was a ring because it's like you know always on your hand right so i think she was really disappointed when it was gone but yeah as you said had already written it off but she does say an interesting line though she goes what are you gonna do talk to him remind him from one gentleman to another to do the honorable thing Oh, and Kaboth in his head is like, I'm no gentleman. I'm a thief. Yes. So again, call back to the title of the the, chapter. The chapter title. Yes. Chapter 20, The Fickle Wind. So this is where Kaboth decides to take things into his own hands to retrieve Dennis' ring. Heist time. (laughs) Yes, this chapter is so exciting. So we got a Thieves Guild mission for Kavoth. He is going after Ambrose's rooms to steal Denna's ring back. Yep. And he's roped Will and Sim and it's his like lookouts. His conspirators. <laughs> and I just love this like in the dead of night under the cloak of darkness. And he's like on the rooftops like. It's all windy and he's like slurking around. Jeez. Right. <laughs> Slinking and lurking around. And he's got his hood up and his cloak on so that you can't see him. And Maximum it's... slurking. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, ever gone slurking? <laughs> Sneaking, lurking, slurking. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I mean. Yes, and so they have this really cool um, way to signal each other, Kavoth, Sim, and Will. They have a cool way to signal each other, but they did not have a cool plan of writing Ambrose a fake love letter. <laughs> oh my god, that part, yeah, pretty lame, where it was like, Will, write a love letter for Ambrose, he'll be sure to follow. It sounds very much like something children would think 15 year old boys would do. <laughs> like, yeah, he'll definitely fall for it. How old is Ambrose? I'd say he's probably early 20s. Okay, I was thinking like somewhere between like 19 and like 22. Yeah, I think that's... Like, he's definitely got some years on Quoth. Mm. The perfect nemesis. But um, <laughs> once Ambrose leaves the inn, um, Kavoth, or uh, Will and Sim and Kavoth, like contact each other with sympathy, like wiggling a twig in the pocket. It's so smart. Yeah, it's, it's so it's simple, brilliant. but so smart. So yeah, I think he has like one in one pocket and one in the other. So he knows from like Will when Ambrose has left and then he knows from Sim when he's like coming back or whatever. Yeah. So he's up on the rooftops. Using his rogue skills, as you wrote in the notes, which is awesome. Did I write that in the book? Yes. (laughs) I didn't want to forget to mention it. Oh, it's great. But yeah, he's like creeping along. um, And of course, Ambrose has like 
kind of hard to get to windows, so Quoth has to pass a couple other sets of windows to, uh... And he's high off the ground, and there's, like, a funny little aside of, like, how he's, like, looking in the windows, and... There's, like, an orgy going on yeah, in one Yeah, there's, room. like, a pile of, like, arms and legs, and things <laughs> are happening, so that's pretty crazy. I know, I think he says, like, if he wasn't so pressed for time, he would have stopped and watched and could have learned yes. things or something like that. But yeah, he makes it all the way. Like, I imagine he's like shimmying on like just a tiny little ledge. Yes. And like just his fingertips are like gripping a windowsill, like very precarious. And he finally makes it all the way over to Ambrose's windows. And um, as per the chapter title, it's a very fickle wind tonight. And yes. it's making his maneuvering very difficult. Yes, it is. And he's struggling with the windows. Because um, I think he thought he would just be able to like easily unlatch the window mm. and hop right in there but as we come to find out ambrose has a lot more security on his rooms than quoth anticipated so the latch i believe yeah won't open and it's got a drop bar and it took like a couple like several minutes to like really kind of undo this mechanism in order to get in yeah, Ugh, palms are sweaty. <laughs> yes, these weak arms are heavy. <laughs> but once he finally gets inside, I yeah. think the window like opens and closes a bit fast because of the wind. So he's like, once he's in, he's like, okay. Phew. But like right before that, and this is totally one of the fickle wind moments where um, the latch opens up and he totally has like that, oh shit, like, whoa, like when you tilt back on a chair and you're like on the apex of like falling back. Yeah. And he, he like almost is going to like beef it in the wind, like pushes, gusts, him. pushes him back. Do you think he's doing any subconscious naming here and like calling the wind? Cause it's hard to interpret because in that case, I would almost think it helped him, but in the cases where it's being fickle, it seems like. If- I think it's just his relationship with the element of wind, and it's, like, for good and bad. Like, mm. he got a freebie here, but then in a couple of minutes he doesn't, and that's why he's always ch- chasing the uh, evasive name of the wind. And, like... Uh, I was thinking that, like, he was so nervous that, like, his like his connection with the wind was, like, being influenced by, like, how nervous he was about the situation, and it was making mm. the wind more erratic. I don't think so in this circumstance, but I do like that idea. But mm-hmm. I don't think he his sleeping mind is active enough yet to where he he's like exhibiting that kind of skill, even if he true. doesn't realize it. Yeah. But uh, our boy gets in. Yes. So the wind quite literally saves him, and he's on in Ambrose's room, and he's kind of just going through all his stuff. He's, like, pretty restrained, though. He doesn't, uh, well, in terms of taking things. I yes. think he does, like, loosen some seams on Ambrose's pants. So when he sits down, like, the butt rips out. And, like, a couple other, like, small shenanigans that couldn't be chased back to him. Yep. There is one interesting little thing. He says there's a jewelry tray in his dressing room. He'd even have locked. Um, and then he had a regular tray with all manners of pins, rings, and chains scattered carelessly across it. And with the rings, it's mentioned separately, not as part of the jewelry box. So I'm wondering if that's like a leftover custom from his time in Vintus and the Vintus culture oh. of like having the rings of people you have 
like in your favor or relationships with yeah it could be because don't you like keep them in a tray out for like display Mm -hmm. as part of your status yes interesting so i bet they are i bet that's exactly what they are kavoth even though he's tempted to rob him he doesn't want to take anything other than dennis ring yeah i think that's a smart move yeah because otherwise it's just going to be too messy I do like, like I said, the part where he like ripped out some seams and stuff and was like, yeah, next time Amber sits down, his pants will rip. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Just like the petty level, like off the charts. Very petty. And like, like I said, cannot be traced back. Yeah. Where if you were to steal something and try and uh, pawn it off on Imre, like it's such a small town, it'll be like obvious who did it. Yeah. Bad idea. So. So um, as he's causing mischief in Amber- Ambrose's rooms, um. The twig in his pocket starts twitching again, and it's a big indicator that somehow Ambrose is already on his way back. And they had anticipated having, I think, at least one to two hours, and Kavos had maybe like 20 minutes at this point, like a very short amount of time, um, because they figured at the very least, Ambrose would walk all the way to the destination that they had set, realize no one was meeting him, and walk back. Right. And like he clearly turned around before he even got to that point. Yeah. And they don't know why yet. And so Kavoth is like, oh shit. And he's trying to open the window and he sees that there is uh, like Sigildry on his window. Like there are wards clearly like warning him that somebody broke in. And now it's as a security measure making it hard for the window to open. Yeah. So it's like, um, like, you know, in, in movies when like someone steals something from a museum and then all those like doors close yeah. to like trap the thief inside. That's exactly what's going on here. Literally. And so at first um, he's taking a pen and trying to like ram it, jam it into the keyhole and open it because he realizes like any thief could get stuck in here, but only very few people at the university could undo like sigildry and wards and stuff. Right, so, he so want it would to make narrow it, it down to like whoever has taken enough advanced sigildry classes to undo this ward. So he's like, I got to make it look like I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and then at one point he goes back and like locks the door, like the front entrance door to Ambrose's rooms, because he's worried Ambrose is going to come in on him. Yes. So he's like panicking in this situation he can hear uh ambrose eventually and then like one of the in in keepers like banging on the door trying to get in right and like heightened emotions it's very intense um but i think eventually he like just shove like doesn't he just force the door or the window open um yeah so he like focuses alar one pushing against the window one um pushing against the door so like trying to protect prevent ambers from coming in on him oh that's right okay um and he's pulling heat from his body because he doesn't have anything else to use so this is like quite a dangerous move but he's as we said too nervous to like change the secondary on the ward so he manages to push the window open because as we know kavoth is like super strong in terms of sympathy and he like hops out onto the wind uh window through the window and out onto the roof and unfortunately he puts his foot down on like a clay roof clay tile. roof tile and it like slips and the wind is like gusting and this is the worst so his fingers are like on the windowsill and the fickle wind like whips the window closed and like it's just like smacks on the knuckles and yeah. he has to let go because that's such a painful spot to get hit so he falls off the roof and then he it says he like lands like a cat on all fours, I think. Yeah. Like on his knees, like 
Yeah, it's literally like it sounds like such a graceful. He's like, instead, I landed face down like a cat. Except a cat's legs are all the same length. I landed on my hands and my knees. So like his kneecaps went right onto the cobblestones, right onto rock. Mm. Um, I'm surprised he didn't break his kneecap. I'm really surprised. I thought that, I mean, I guess adrenaline's just keeping him going, but then the roof tiles like fall down and hit him on the back of the head too. And he like kind of goes like woozy for a second, but then like picks himself up and runs. Yes. Just run, 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 run. Um, and he goes all the way back to Onkers, uh, over the rooftops again, which pretty bold move considering you just fell off a roof. Yeah. And caught a clay tile to the head. Yeah. Not your smartest, but I guess he's trying to like, not these guild <laughs> trying to keep his cool. I don't know. Um, so well, instead he, like... of somebody like sprinting down the like alleyway looking guilty. Yeah. And he says he doesn't want to walk through the tap room of Onkers, like looking sketchy. So he gets all the way up to his room and he's like trying to gather his thoughts when all of a sudden there's a knock at his door and then he like, he's like, oh, who is it? Uh, so to double check, he like pulls the twig in his pocket and on the other side of the door, Sim's like, hey. <laughs> Which is actually really smart. So it wasn't like, who is it? And yeah. it's like somebody not good. I mean, it could have easily been like the police or the equivalent thereof. The iron law. Oh yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> Um, so Will and Sim come in and I love how like, uh, pretend they are. They're like, apparently Ambrose caught a thief in his room. Yeah. And, uh, Kvothe's like, well, you know me, just been here all night. So they're kind of dancing around to it. Yeah. Um, and Will thinks that Ambrose came back because he realized that his handwriting wasn't especially feminine, but Kvothe explains about the wards, um... And how that had tipped Ambrose off. And <laughs> again, Kavoth is always covered in blood. Like, this is just a perpetual state of being for him for a while. He's yeah, a I'm, I'm calling bullshit. I'm bloodless. So, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Sim is like, oh, are you okay? And then he, they, like, he starts to inspect like the back of his head and the back of his elbow and everything. And like he is looking pretty rough. Kids sketchy back to you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and Simon's like, let's go to the Medica. Not thinking. Moron. Which, good thing, because pretty soon Kvothe ends up at the Medica, and Amorous has put out an alert saying, like, anyone who looks like they fell off the roof, immediately send them to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, Willem says, obviously, no, they cannot go there, and... He's actually off the hook because he's got a he's a little squeamish around blood, but yeah. both uh, wraps Sim into giving him stitches. Giving him some stitches on his elbow. You've been promoted to field medic. I don't know if I could do that to someone. I think. I think I could. I don't work in Granted, the medical field. Yeah, I was gonna say. I've never done it, but I think I've done enough things that are close enough where it would be okay. My mom used to tell me this story where her dad um, fell down a flight of stairs and scraped his scalp and like the skin was like flapping like a really big portion of skin on top of his head. And uh, my uncle Drew, my mom's brother, had to like stitch his head back. Ooh. 
Yeah, so I think that just like scarred me as a kid. <laughs> I never I'm terrified of stitches. Like I never, ever, ever want to get stitches. Uh, my dad and one of his coworkers had to stitch me up once when I was in like middle school. What? Yeah. Why? Your dad's oh an God. eye doctor. Did you do something to your eye? Like eyebrow. <sighs> All we were playing. I always, those kids who always came in, and it was always, like, kids playing sports, um, who had to get, like, staples on their eyebrow. Yeah. I literally, we were playing, like, kickball, and fell funny, glasses, like, cut it open. Ooh. Which is actually really funny. And, yeah, called my dad. We went to Kachai at work, and him and one of the uh, staff members there did it and then i got to go to burger king go home early so as a kid i was like this is a (laughs) win-win i got a battle scar and burger king life is good (laughs) wow best day of my life yeah that's so funny yeah well i'm glad your eyebrows okay never been browier (laughs) (laughs) said no one ever (laughs) no they're on fleek it's fine (laughs) um anyway the chapter ends with them kind of making up their alibis so and it's very smart that it's mundane and it's so funny sims like oh can we say i won like cards like we were playing cards all night and i won and people are like people are not people are not gonna believe that you never win so kavo says we say the truth like will you were at the pony during the excitement and you guys came over here to tell me about it um i showed you this clock i've been working on and whatever whatever like it's a pretty boring line sims like "Mm, that's pretty boring um and as will goes to leave he says that you know quoth i heard this rumor the other day that like you were done antagonizing a certain member of the nobility so uh you know, know what are you doing like not directly confronting him but also being like you said you were done with this. Yeah, and, and like, you just like, like four days later, you're stirring the pot further than you've ever gone. Maybe this isn't your best idea. Mm. And Sim kind of defends him. He's like, Ambrose is a terrible person. Like he always like is mean to us and belittles us. Like we should stand up to him. But it's more so the fact that Will is like, you have gone too far. Yeah, with Denna. Like, you're taking this too far. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good that he calls him out. Like, Will's a very sensible friend. He is. Obviously, Kavoth doesn't listen because he hasn't. He can't be told one way or another about Denna. Nah, when it comes to Denna, he's a complete moron. Yeah, but I think it's... He has really good friends, and as he always says, like, friends he doesn't deserve. And in these cases, like, friends that give you good advice and call you out when, like, you're making stupid decisions, which he just made a very stupid decision, those are good friends. Yeah. And the way he always writes, it's like, better friends than I deserve. Like, there's always, like, that, like, touch of, like, and I hope not that something bad's going to happen to them. And I really hope it doesn't. It's either, like, because it does sound past tense, like, either they are dead, or at least one of them is dead, or they have such a falling out that, like, They've never spoken to each other. Ugh, I, and like, I, don't, I have this horrible feeling in my stomach that one of them is going to be like caught in the crossfire of like his actions and like be killed for it, and it's going to break my heart. I one of my predictions for book three is that Sim will be just like accidentally hit is like a friendly fire like kind of Ugh. situation, and it will be Kavos' fault, and he'll be like devastated. Yeah, if that happens, I'm literally just going to like tear in two. 
it would probably i think it will drive a wedge between him and will then too and that would like mm-hmm. end that as well yeah oh, it'll be so sad let's hope it doesn't happen <laughs> chapter 21 piecework so unfortunately the stiffness in quoth's body from falling off a roof prevents him from sleeping very well so he's up out and about pretty early boy is crunchy yeah, and he's looking for some crunchy bark to chew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is actually, though. Yeah, he goes out and he decides to like walk around a bit, um, and he finds some willow bark to chew, which is like a pain reducer. Um, and he's actually like pretty glad he's up so early because it's loosening up his like body, and he doesn't look so obviously injured. Um, and eventually he's like, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to go to the fishery. I'm going to start earning some money for next tuition. Uh, plus also I ruined another shirt (laughs) and I'm going to need some bandages. So I definitely need some cash. So when he gets to the, uh, fishery, Jackson is not the one running the stocks, but there is like another student there named, um, Basil, who I think... He, he dormed was, with him at the Muse. Yeah, he was he like way back at the beginning. Um, and Basil got caught adding water to acid, so Kilvin's punishing him now working stocks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Kvothe like copies Kilvin's accent and is like, an artificer must move with perfect care in all things. And they're like kind of just joking around. Um, Which is funny, because that's how Kilvin would say, like, the situation. Right? It's a pretty good impersonation. I think it's pretty good. I mean, in the audiobook, he's got that, like, almost Russian accent, which I think is pretty good. Mm. But, um, you know, they're just joking around, being, like, young students, and Basil's like, all right, what can I get you? Like, what do you need? And next to Kvothe's name, there is, like, a note saying that, like, he can't check anything out. He needs to report to Kilvin, like, next time he comes in. So Kvothe's like, oh, my God. Again, like last time I was here, it was the whole thing about the girl and the charm. Like, what is this now? Yeah. And um, Basil even says, like, that girl came back looking for you. She didn't come inside, but like, if she does, like, I'm gonna have to let Kilvin know. Like, I'm like, I'm already in trouble, dude. Like, if she comes back, I'm gonna have to do what I gotta do. Yeah. And Kilvin is like, you know what? That's fine. I understand, but I just hope that she doesn't come back. Um, and all we know about her at this point is that she wears a blue cloak with the hood up and she's kind of just been lurking. Um, but he goes into Kvothe's workshop. Uh, not, uh, Kilvin, jeez. <laughs> There's too many K names. Kvothe goes into Kilvin's workshop and Kilvin is working on a new lamp. Um, yeah, he's like glass blowing. Yeah, which is cool. We've never actually seen Kilvin do like work yet. Mm. Um, but he's blowing and... <laughs> Without any, like, uh, prompting, Kilvin just is, like, bellows, and uh, Kvothe starts, like, pumping the bellows for him, and and it's, like, good work groove, and it's actually kind of cool. They, like, work together really, really well. Yeah, it's cool when you kind of get in that flow state with somebody, and you don't have to even give each other communication directions. You just adopt your roles in the task, and you just do it. It's also cool because Kelvin's like a master. Yeah. And Quill's just a student for him to like keep pace and know exactly. I mean, he's just like tending the fire, but like to meet Kelvin's standards is he's clearly good. Yeah. It like um, reminds you of at work, like 
when I'm doing like injections with like the doctors and stuff, like well, we won't even sometimes have to say stuff. Like everyone just knows their role and just starts doing it. And it's, a like, well-oiled cool, like, machine. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's awesome. Talent recognizing talent. Um, and then at the very end of this, uh, the bubble bursts unfortunately, so that whatever they're making doesn't work. But Kilvin says um, that thing again, like kissed Krayla and Coat. So he says Coat again, like Quoth's name. Um, but then he says something else that Quoth <laughs> translates as best he can as to shit in God's beard, <laughs> which I think is great. Um, but speaking of how good Quoth is, Kilvin kind of rounds on him and he's like, you're making really easy little piecework stuff. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You've been promoted up. Why are you still doing entry-level work? Do you like doing this? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And... Kavold kind of is like, well, it's profitable. He's a little trigger-shy, too, because he's like, you didn't like my lamp, so I'm a little nervous to, like, spend money to do something else if you're not going to like it, and I can't sell it. Right, and I love that Kilvin kind of gives it back to him. He's like, oh, so you got scolded once. You're going to be too afraid to, like, push it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that they have, like... A very honest relationship. It's it is like student and master, but he also kind of sees Kavoth as like a peer. Yeah, they're very good. And even then, Kavoth's like, truthfully, if I have to make another deck lamp, I'm gonna be so fucking bored. I might shit myself. Like, yeah, I hate it. Um, and Kelvin's like, good. You should feel that you're clever. Stop wasting your time doing these like easy projects. Yeah, I want you to do something better. Um. And suddenly, kind of throughout this conversation, Kvoth gets, like, hot. Um, well, yeah, he closed the door when he entered Kilvin's office, and they were working the bellows, and the forge and the furnace were, like, in the room, and boy starts getting sweaty. Right. But it might also be the first time that someone's doing malfeasance on him. Yeah. Because the next time it happens, a couple chapters from now, Kvoth is walking down the street, and he gets, like, overheated. mm um, and has to jump in a river, and in this case, he gets overheated to the point of passing out. And like, granted, yes, he did just fall off a roof, and he's standing there in a room with the door closed, and it's like really, really hot. But it, it says that Kevin wasn't that hot, yeah. So I'm thinking that there may have been some like some sympathy going on, like affecting Kvoth as well. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting. But he passes out and wakes up. Once again, in the Medica, thankfully, Mola's the one taking care of him. I feel like this is literally always, like, in the Harry Potter books where it's, like, after the Quidditch match and Harry always wakes up in, like, the hospital wing and he's like, where am I? Oh, and Dumbledore is like, here's the explanation of everything that happened. Yeah. Yep. My boy, you've done it. You've won. Earwax. But Mola says, like, oh, I diagnosed you with, like, a heat stroke. But on further examination, I decided you're actually suffering from an acute case of jumping out of a window last night. So she is not fooled by yeah, anything. She immediately. knows exactly what's up. Thankfully. And he doesn't even deny. He's like, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. I love that. She's like, oh, you're not like. Because he uh, she says Ambrose offered a reward to anyone who finds someone who uh, finds someone who broke into his room. Yeah. And Kavoth is like, ugh, I didn't even steal anything. So Mola's like, you're not even gonna try to pretend it wasn't you? And he says, yeah, I'm not gonna insult your intelligence. Like, 
you're not dumb. You know yeah. exactly what I was doing. And she wants to know why. And he says he was doing a favor for a friend. And she actually believes him because she's like, oh, well, you know, you saved Fela. Fela and I are, you know, decently close. We're homies. And uh, she also didn't bring it up, but he asked her to do the favor for Ari as well that one time. Right. So she believes him. And then Will and Sim show up. <laughs> Sim, and of course, is like always joking. And he's like, we heard Kilvin made you fate like a sissy little girl and had to be carried over here. Yeah. So um, they all seem to be sort of in like unspoken agreement that, you know, Kvothe is obviously the thief, but like we're going to keep it hush hush. Until Simon. Simon blows it. Idiot. And he's like, oh, he's trying to get a girl or a ring for his girl. Um, which Mola is immediately like, screw you. You lied right to my face. How screw could- you, Jake. <laughs> screw you yeah she's so mad but then um it it gets cleared up like yeah she thought that kvothe was just robbing ambrose the ring when she was like oh you should have explained that he took it from someone like everyone knows how ambrose is with women that's not easy like i wouldn't misinterpret that yeah and so really interesting little side happens here where one kvothe is like it's none of your damn business his hackles are all up and he's like angry and so willem says look at his eyes they're dark green yeah anytime he's angry like that like no good comes of it like give him a minute to calm down he's he's a hothead and he's got like a flash like temper but he'll subside and it'll be fine in a sec but it's so interesting that willem's noticed all this because he's like so quiet with stuff Mm. he's stoic but he's not an idiot exactly so yeah he lets everyone calm down um (laughs) The conversation switches to the stitches on Kvothe's arm, and Mola's like, these are terrible. These are a mess. And Simon takes it very personally. <laughs> and Will, being the best friend, I think he did quite well, like, really defends Simon. Yeah. Um, But she's like, you know, I'm going to have to redo them. Uh, Will leaves because, again, he does not like blood. I hate this place. <laughs> I think those are his words. That's exactly his words. So he dips out. Um, Mola is the champion of the day because she agrees to not put any of the suspicious injuries on the report and just says it was heat stroke or heat exhaustion um gives him new stitches mm-hmm. uh tells him to get some water and sleep and she's like don't please don't come back like please stop hurting yeah. yourself <laughs> chapter 22 slipping so we have our boy kavoth studying adept sympathy with Alcidol. And they are doing some very intense and oddly specific tasks using sympathy. I mean, they did the dueling in Name of the Wind, like, against each other. And this is, like, kicking it up mm, five notches or so. Right. (laughs) It seems really hard. So, obviously, like, Kavoth is the best uh, and is adept sympathy. So, it's all advanced students. But Dahl has them doing some crazy activities. Yeah, they're basically applying all these like advanced calculations and tables and diagrams that they've been studying to doing crazy stuff like lighting a candle in a dark room that they can't see and ripping um, a card in half from like a deck, like a specific card. And they're doing it well. Sometimes they're being opposed by other students, ALR. So it's like this very complicated stuff. 
and Kvothe, and he's mentioned on multiple occasions he's not very good at like numbers and math right um so all these like things the calculations and the conversions and everything he's kind of like whoa like this is crazy hard like I don't really think it's going to be as important as Dahl's making it out to be. He told us this story about, like, some student that burned himself from the inside out because he calculated wrong. Yeah, and so when he uh, tells Manet this story, thinking it's kind of just um, rumor or, like, that one story every semester to kind of scare kids into paying attention and, like, being careful. Manet... I mean, every school has that story. And usually you don't hear it from the professors, but it's like, oh, in elementary school, like, there was a kid once that, like, swung all the way around the swings and, like, broke his head. Like, like yeah. dumb stories. Like Almost like urban legendy. <laughs> yeah, but, like, childish level. Yeah, and so this one was actually, like, the real deal. And I just love where uh, the next line it's is so Manet just all, like, solemn and grim is just, like, smelled like pork. <laughs> all uh gimli salted pork but um Ugh. damnedest thing he says and like clearly a little slippage here or there but this guy like slipped two hundred thousand thumbs inside two seconds and apparently there was like a whole wing in the the mains that just wasn't used for an entire year Ugh, it's so gross yeah it's like did it smell for an entire year was everyone just so disturbed like by like it was what probably happened there? both i mean I, I, I've, Manet says it smells like pork, and I have definitely listened to enough, like, uh, true crime podcasts about, you know, true crime, um, to know that, like, human flesh is similar to, like, pork or veal, and just, like, the smell of that is, can be overwhelming. Yeah, it's definitely a very pungent smell. It's not great. Yeah. Um, so but it's interesting within this world as far as like how kinetic and thermal energy through slippage can harm sympathists because obviously we we experienced um binders chills in name of the wind and how seeping your energy from your body through basically like again, pulling your own heat yeah but this is something different this is like basically all that excess energy going to try and do a task is Instead of spent, you're kind of like there's no it's nowhere you're to go just but like internally you're yeah. containing it, and so they also talk about it's kind of cool too because like sympathy has so far besides binder stills, which is just like scary but not that scary. It's been more like how powerful is your mind? Yes. Whereas this is like you can definitely go too far and make a grave error. Yeah. And really ruin like I mean that kid killed himself, but like you can really hurt yourself dangerously if you're not focused enough. Yeah. And keep doing your calculations and everything. And so one of the things they're also talking about is kinetic slippage. And so <laughs> it's a hilarious <laughs> example, even though it's uh very grisly, but um I guess apparently an elf student a couple of years back tried to like hurl a manure cart onto like the roof of the master's hall <laughs> and in doing so like literally tore his arm off it's at the so shoulder. Gross. Oh, it's disgusting and hilarious and crazy, but like it shows that although sympathy in this world, other than naming, is like that next level of magic, there are rules and consequences that go into it. And it's not just um, yeah. unlimited power like yeah like however strong your mind can be yeah which i like it reminds me almost and it's definitely not explored nearly as much as slippage is but in ha the harry potter series when they're learning to operate and mm. you can like splint yourself and like not take your entire body with you 
like at first people are like haha that's kind of like crazy like could you imagine if you left your leg behind but then it happens in the class and people are, it definitely scares people really oh, quickly yeah. so yeah it's it's dangerous stuff they're messing around with <laughs> dark and powerful forces that are better left alone yes but of course kavoth is you know jacked in the sympathy realm Yep, and so as he reminds us all, that's why they call him Kvoth the Arcane. So he is uh, doing really well in this class despite having fallen off a roof and all that jazz the past two chapters. So Dahl is like, we're going to have to start doubling up students against you. Like so far, Fenton's been the best like challenger against yeah. Kvoth, but now they're going to have to start doing two on ones. And <laughs> Kvoth's like, that's not really fair. And then Dahl's like, well, you know, well, you know, price of fame. And he like kind of like laughs it off. And he's like, I'll have like the bat, like Fenton being the best and then like the lowest rank to go at you and then slowly build it up. Yeah. I'm surprised. And I was mentioning this before, like off the podcast, but I'm surprised that Dahl hasn't taken as much of an interest in Kvoth in terms of like how powerful and mm. how well he's taken to sympathy because obviously as they about to, are about to start talking about, Elodin is Kvothe's, like, sponsor. Yeah. But it seems like Dahl should be really, like, cultivating Kvothe's abilities. I think so. I guess it boils down to the risk, because mm. he does see that Kvothe has a temper, that he messes with the other masters, that he got banned from the archives, that, you know... Yeah, but Dahl seems to like him. He does. I think, though... He has an understanding of who Kavoth is and definitely sees a raw talent, but maybe lacks some discipline. And so mm, I was thinking it was more like a politeness of like, oh, the other like Elodin is your master, like your master. Mm. I can't step on his toes. And it's kind of like you claim a student and that student is yours. I think now. Yes. I think if Elden never stepped up and if Kilvin never stepped up, maybe Dahl would have. Yeah, I think so. Or even... um master arwell in the medica yeah like he definitely ugh, it's so frustrating because obviously we know Kvothe's a powerful namer but there's he's doing so well in these other classes that masters like could have really helped him out in those two yeah it's definitely uh the path less traveled like what could have mm -hmm. been yeah 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 and so as Kvothe is having this conversation with doll he ends up getting cold and dun 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 <laughs> he tells Dahl, like, oh, you know, might just be a small case of binders chills. Um, I did, like, pass out of heat exhaustion the other day in Kilvin's shop. So I think I'm just, my body's fluctuating. Yeah. And so Dahl's like, dude, like, Let's stand if you had that, you shouldn't have been dueling. And he's like, no. Like, he's just so, like, air like not arrogant, but stubborn. It's just like, he's it's so fine. so stubborn. So as he's, like, standing by the brazier and warming up. But that, like, moment of chills... Definitely could have been. definitely probably the first. Or second now. Um, maybe second, yeah. Instance of malfeasance. Yeah, because I think the first one was him overheating in Kilvin's shop. I'm pretty sure it was. And now the second one's the chills. And that's why he's not noticing. Yeah, because these were very small degrees. They're very small and they're in situations where like it's plausible that he could have like been too hot in Kilvin's office or been too cold with Binder's chills. Yeah. So. It's hard to tell. And so. But I think it's slowly like speaking of slippage uh rothfuss is like slowly slipping in these like small moments where Kvothe's experiencing malfeasance his homeostasis is in flux <laughs> <laughs> and so um as he's warming himself by the brazier and just kind of chit-chatting with doll 
he um Elksadol does ask Kavoth, you know, how are your studies going with Elodin? And Kavoth <laughs> at first is like, nah, not, not good. good. And so definitely not good. You know, it's just classic um Elodin. He's just so quirky and strange and weird and he's sowing so many like random tidbits and facts and like exercises for him to do but they don't seem like they're contributing anything towards his grasp at naming yeah Kvothe's getting frustrated with how much time he's wasting yeah he sees it as very impractical time spent yeah because he does have the pressure of like i need to get into the university i need to make sure i can afford to stay there and during all my classes and doing well i need to like be working at the same time right and the time frame is very like poignant in Quoth's mind yes he does realize that in his own mind that he's constantly on borrowed time and that he needs to make the most of it that he can while he's at the university because he doesn't know how long he'll be able to afford his education right 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 and so in the conversation with Dahl he starts asking about I mean it like transitions to naming and Quoth asks Dahl if he knows any names and apparently this is a bit of an impolite question we've never encountered this like uh, etiquette around naming before because there's not enough namers that Kvothe knows but um, Dahl compares it to like asking a man how often he makes love to his wife so it's like clearly it's a very, very personal question and he says it's mostly like a holdover from old times when like if you know what names your enemy knows then like you know all their weaknesses and right. strengths so people kept that really closely guarded and I mean, it makes sense. There's a whole portion. Um, I can't remember if it's earlier in Wise Man's Fear or mm-hmm. way back in Name of the Wind, but Eldin has a conversation with Kavoth and he says um, before the university got as big as it was, there was like an inner circle of people who basically knew more than others, and that was... The seers, the speakers, and the knowers, so the, the original people who became Elir, Raylar, and Elf, and those were based upon naming. Yeah, even in this conversation, Dahl says, like, a long time ago, Elodin says that people used to know a lot of names, and a lot more people knew more names, and it seems like the heyday of, like, naming and knowing and shaping and everything was around the creation war. Yeah. And somehow it's been slowly diluted. I don't know if it's, like, going into the fey realm and out of the mortal realm, like, the ability to do these things. I don't know if it's connected with that. That's the only reason I could see that, like, magic is lessening in the world. It might not be lessening. It's almost like Dark Ages and, like, revival of, like, knowledge. Maybe, yeah. Where That's very plausible. Like well-kept secrets are too well-kept and they get lost over time yeah and people also especially if we think of the under thing as like a fallen city Mm. like we know that there's been societal collapse in temerant before so yeah that makes more sense then i mean but it could also have to do with like the division between fey and mortal too that and probably people just not spending the time to study it the way they used to Mm. yeah (laughs) i mean if we think about like all our favorite characters, like Old Cobb. <laughs> I hate Old Cobb. I know, I know, I know. Crusty old corn cob. <laughs> um, so we find out that Dahl only knows two names, and Kavoth is like, oh, only two, 
which doll kind of claps back and is like you don't know any yeah dude like you called the wind once nice try yeah so doll demonstrates like he knows the name of fire which such a cool flex it's super cool and kavoth says i could do he makes like the fire and all the braziers go up kavoth says you could do that with sympathy though and Dal points out that you can't do it without a source, like a heat source. Yeah. So he is kind of defining the difference between the two and like why naming is more powerful than any kind of sympathy you can do. Yeah. And then he does an ultimate flex where he calls the name of fire and he sticks his hands in the brazier. Yes, it's so cool. Picks up the coals and like Kavot is like, oh shit. Like this is totally like what naming's all about fully understanding something and having mastery and control over it yeah it's so cool it reminds me and i have talked about this book series on the podcast before but i really like the ink heart books and you didn't get to this book yet sam but in the second one um there are two characters who like can they like breathe fire and they're called like fire dancers um but they like build up this fire so much and they like go into it and the fire, like, turns them all ashy and black, so they become invisible for a short amount of time. Whoa, that's pretty sweet. And that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. It's, like, really cool. Um, yeah, so Doll is, like, super powerful in this moment and, like, sticks his hand in. And it's because that, like, with the true understanding of a thing with naming, you have power over it. And it yeah. not, can't necessarily, like, hurt you in those moments, like, if you can control it well. But it's, it's so funny. He does this, like awesome crazy thing and kavoth is kind of like but but how and Elodin re- or um doll responds with like ask Elodin. he's the one who understands these things i just work here yeah just like makes it super casual <laughs> yeah it takes it down a notch um but after this whole interaction kavoth makes his way over the river to imray and is at the Aeolian, even though uh, he knows that it's a little too early to find Denna there. But yeah. he does find... Oh, really quick, though, because we were talking about it the other night, and I want I want the viewers' uh, input on this. If you could study naming and um, choose one thing to be able to kind of like focus on to learn, I feel like you would definitely be water. Like, you would choose like to understand the name of water. Yeah, we've talked about this in the last chapter. Remember, it was like water, fire, stone, metal, and like one other thing. Yeah, but we never, I don't think we discussed like what we'd want to learn. Oh, I would definitely pick water. Yeah. I love swimming like too much to not want to be able to control. I love the idea of like learning the name of fire, but I feel like I would be more interested in learning the name of iron. We did talk about this. Did we? Because I I was like, there's not that much iron things in this world, but like in Kavos' world, there's so much more. Yeah. So. Viewers, definitely reach out. We want to know what kind of names you'd want to learn. Hit us up on our social media accounts. We just love hearing from you guys. I mean, could I learn the name of like other elements too? Mm. Like, um. Stone would be super useful. Stone would be really useful. And obviously wind is amazing. Can you learn names of, like, animals and stuff? Like, do we know? I mean, I think eventually there's, like, the whole natural order. So, big plants, animals, oh, sunlight. plants would be cool. 
This also reminds me of, I'm talking about a lot of other books today, um, but there's a book series called So You Want to Be a Wizard. Mm. And at the beginning, um, you have to like choose what you want your prowess to be in. Oh, that's such a hard decision. And the main character is a girl and she picks plants. And then there's another character. I haven't read this book in a really long time, but I think he picks machines. Ooh. So he can control like cars and stuff. It's very interesting. Ugh, there's, like, too much pressure. Uh, there's no wrong answer, but it's also, like, one of those things that's like, but what do you pick? I, oh, man. Maybe air. Yeah. There's some... Maybe. Depends on the applications. Like, obviously, like, flying, air force, the cool stuff. I mean, in, like, in the modern day, I'm not in, like, hand-to-hand combat or anything where I'd need, like, battle skills. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I was kind of thinking of it as. But, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, probably water. It'd be cool. I would definitely just go with water. And we live near so much water, it would be pretty practical. Mm-hmm. Useless in the desert, but. <laughs> oh, maybe not. No maybe way. you could, like, summon Cold water. water from the air. Yeah, summon rain. If I you... take it back. It's useful everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm learning water. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kavoth is in the Aeolian. And Threpe's there and, um, you know, gives him his warm welcome as always. Like, he loves Kvoth. Kvoth, my boy. Like, it just, uh Yes, I haven't seen you in a mortal age. <laughs> yeah, I just love, like, what a ham he is. He's great. But he owns it. Like, he knows he's a ham and he's totally fine with it. Yeah. So he's there with Stanchion, um, who immediately is like, Kvoth, you look a little pale, like you need more sleep or more food or something. Or red meat. Yeah, but uh, he brings him a mug of metheglin, because that's, you know, all he can offer at the moment. And uh, Therape jumps on this situation to be like, if it's meat you need, come to my house for dinner, because Kvoth keeps rejecting his offers for dinner. Oh my god, I feel like come book three, he's finally going to have dinner at... Um, Threpe's house and it's either going to be like a huge like yeah. revelation or like there is going to be something that comes up this. Something big's going to happen with this. Like it I can't tell odd. if it's going to be like a oh my god you're actually part of a secret society of vampires or like something crazy but like I just feel like he mm. keeps wanting these like dinner parties to happen and it's not just going to be like a mundane thing like I think something big's going to go down when he eventually decides to like do it. Do we know where, like, Threpe's, like, estate is I in no relation idea. to anything else? Like, I mean, I, obviously, I think he lives right around Imre if he's always at the Aeolian. Well, usually nobility have a townhouse and an estate. Gotcha. So the townhouses would be, where, like, when they're in the city and then they go out to, like, their lands. Yeah. Um, I imagine come book three, like, Kavoth is finally in, like, a lot of money and notoriety. Yeah. By the end of it, that I think he would be able to easily afford an outing at Threpe's. Well, that's the thing, is he says the reason he can't go is he can't afford a suit. Right. And that has never seemed to bother him too much in other situations. Yeah, I but know I think he's, he like, a good actor. Threp. Yeah, but Threpe's also, like, eh. Like, the conversation will be boring. You and I hate the other nobility as much as, like... Like, it's not, we know it's not fun, but, like, mm. please come for dinner as a friend. Yeah. And Kvoth, Kvoth gives him, like, one of those fake answers of, like, yeah, I'd love to come. Yeah, like, As the soon around. as the university, like, cools down a little bit and I'm not so busy, I'll come by. Yeah. Um, Stanchion gives, like, a big, like, nod in the background of, like, good, good. All Palpatine, do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Who's that other? Oh, Shia. It's May the 4th. Shia LaBeouf. Just do it. Just do it. That's what I always think of when I hear do it. <laughs> um. <laughs> so Therapy's like, you know, still on the ball to be like, I'll get you a patron. Like, you've got to come for dinner. Yeah. And that is the perfect spot for Kavoth to be like, speaking of patrons, uh, I wanted to ask your opinion, Therapy. Like, one of my friends, i.e. Denna has this situation going on where someone has approached her as a patron, but she doesn't know their name. He never meets in the same place twice. He hasn't contacted her in a while. I don't even know if she knows his real name. Right. And Threpe is like, oh, you want to know if he's, like, respectable. Right. And with the little information that Kavoth can provide to Threpe, he is definitely, at the very least, giving advice that Denna should keep her wits about her. But he says he's known people who have, like, posed as patrons to, like, take advantage of women. Um, or it's someone who's just, like, a real patron but pretending to be, like, an outlaw and having fun with it. Yeah. So he thinks that it sounds like a sketchy situation, though. Kid sketchy. Back to you. <laughs> he keeps saying that today. But um, he also says, though, that, like, it could be part of an act, like, how... He was under the assumption that Kavoth already had a patron and was, like, grooming him just for the moment to make his grand entrance on the stage at the Alien and earn his talent pipes. Yeah, I think that situation would be a lot less concerning if Denna knew her patron's name. Yeah, but she has no idea who the heck. And, like, refused to tell Kavoth who it was, but she's getting really strung along. Yeah. It's very concerning. Um, One thing that was interesting, because I am... I mean, I go back and forth, but I'm pretty much of the mind, I think, that Master Ash is Cinder. Mm. And at one point, Threpeg says, oh, this patron would be uh, having a bit of fun pretending to be an outlaw. And fast forward way down the line, but Cinder is with the bandits, who are often called outlaws. Yes. Which is, like, just a synonym, obviously. It's, like, not like anything crazy but to use the same term yeah we know everything's very intentional in these books so it could just be a red herring it could just be you know the word that is used in this situation but i thought it was if it turns out to be cinder it would be really interesting for him to be pegged as an outlaw way back when (sighs) but yeah kavoth is kind of disappointed that den is in this situation so he goes back to the university um, and this is where he gets the first real obvious hit of this malfeasance situation because he's walking along and all of a sudden he gets this like weird feeling in his arm and he initially thinks that it's the stitches that had been taken out and redone and he's like, you know, that's not too surprising if that's irritating. But then it's this like weird heat that like spreads across his body and he's thinking he has, like, maybe a fever. He's, like, sweating like, very suddenly, so he unbinds his shirt. Takes off his cloak, takes and he's, off like, his cloak, fanning himself. It's, like, not enough, so all of a sudden he just jumps into the Omethi River. <laughs> yeah. And is, like, steamy hot, even in the cool water. It even, like, travels to his face, and he, like, goes underwater for, like, a little while. Yeah, that could have been really bad. Um, there's a couple that's walking by that clearly, like, pointedly ignores him jumping in the river, but it's pretty ominous the chapter ends with him getting out of the water shivering cold and walking back to the university terribly afraid yeah and it takes a lot to really make kavoth like scared or nervous so this is not a good sign no 
Chapter 23, Principles. Do you have anything to say about the chapter title here? <laughs> it's such a vague title. For this one, um, I mean, as we go through the chapter, I think the first thing that came to my mind was um, the principles of sympathy and the fact that when he puts one and two together in a few minutes while he's with Will and Sim, that he understands it's malfeasance. I'm impressed. I thought I was just going to put you on blast there nope. for a second. I'm always at the ready. Oh. Right. My ALR is like a bar of rust and steel. That came through really loud in my headphones. Whoops. Um, so, Kvothe has fast forward a little bit in time. He is at Onkers and he's about to get up and do his like traditional felling night like playing. But before that, he's hanging out with Will and Sim. They're just having a couple drinks and playing cards. Yes. And Kvothe tells them that he told Mola about the situation and she really brushed him off and kind of shooed him out the door and was like, you just fell off a roof and I'm covering for you. Please stop coming back here. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> leave. <laughs> so they're not really sure what to do about it. Yeah. And so Willem thinks it's like he is like running himself ragged and he fell off the roof too. And Simon keeps thinking it's like, um, oh, actually... It's a lingering effect from the plum bob, and they talk about latent principles. Oh. So that's where we're getting some of that stuff, because mm. as we know throughout the rest of this book, especially yes. with some key conversations, he has plum bob echoes, yeah. aka latent principles. So I think he's also just a little bit more reckless like mm. in the books than he ever was without even necessarily experiencing like the taste in his mouth. I think it's just... I think also that was partially with his conversation with the cafe, like, cursing him. Oh, but, like, n even just now, like, I don't think he would have broken into Ambrose's rooms. Oh, no. He's like, just... he's he's definitely getting a little bold here. Yes. But uh, I think Sim also thinks that it might be some kind of alchemical thing. Like, he may have gotten a drop of something on himself in the fishery. Yeah. Yeah, because Kavoth was saying that he almost had, like, a reagent, like touches skin and that can like basically ruin you some of the chemicals and things that yeah. are used in the artificery dangerous stuff yes and so as they're kind of going through what might be some of the factors contributing to like this weird illness or symptoms that he's experiencing um he then goes up to start playing his music and... Oh, but not before Sim asks him to play the one about the cow and the butter churn. <laughs> cow, play the one about the drunk cow and the butter churn. I think it's a sexual joke. It definitely is. It's just funny. Maybe later, he says. <laughs> and so for like about two hours, he's playing all the classic hits and the audience is loving it. Yeah, I mean, it's like a Friday night. Yeah, just classic jam sesh and... He begins to feel a chill while he's, like, on stage, but his back's to, like, a roaring fire. Yeah, not good. And he's like, that's weird. And so he finishes the song, and he kind of signals over to, like, Will and Simon, and it's like, yo, I do not feel right. Like, I am cold straight into my bones. Like, um, he asks Simon to light a candle from the fire downstairs and ask Will to, like, walk him upstairs and tell Ankers, like, like he's I'm done sick. for the night, he's not feeling playing. well. And so even like going up the stairs, like he's trying to control his body, but he starts shaking so hard that he's afraid like Will's going to like lose grip on him and he'll fall down the stairs like he's really in a bad way. Yeah, he starts shaking and his lips are cold and blue 
And so um, Willem is getting really nervous and he's like starting to talk in a thicker accent, which is like his like giveaway that he's actually really scared. Yeah, he's actually really, really scared. So they get Kvothe up into his room. Yeah. And at this point, like Kvothe is like straight up like having like full like shakes. I imagine he looked like, you know, in movies when people are like stuck in a freezer or a glacier or whatever, they like get that like weird white like ice look. Yeah. That's literally what I'm picturing. And so... But um, it happened within, like, five minutes. Yeah, like, it happened so fast. And so Kavoth literally takes, like, a splinter from the wood in his bedside table and makes forces himself to bleed. Yeah, he's and, going right to the intense solution. Yeah. And so Simon, like, stares at him and he's like, what are you doing? Because he's, like, putting one and two together. Like, if he had a candle from the same fire downstairs and Kavos about to like do his blood and he's like shivering. Which is a callback to when they were explaining sympathy to Denna and they boiled the wine using sympathy and yes. Kavos is like, oh, and that's why you don't want to get your blood involved in sympathy. Yes. And here he is doing the exact same thing. And so he does uh, like a two-part binding and starts like warming himself up from the with the fire and the flame and his blood. Yep. And it's helping. And even Willem is like, let him do it. Like, his lips are not the right color. Like, something's very, very wrong. Yeah, and so Kavoth is just, like, in his, like, heart of stone, just, like, trying to, like, basically revitalize himself. Yeah, but then he starts to get too hot. Yeah, so he immediately, like... Cuts the binding. Severs a connection, yeah. Um, But then he also kind of switches back to being too hot which i'm not sure if it was like his binding or if it's like the malfeasance again like flip-flopping around i think because he opens the windows and he's like sweaty yeah so it's hard to keep track of what's what because we don't know at this point who's in charge of the malfeasance and like what they're exactly doing right and so as he takes his shirt off there's like that whole burn across his chest from when he was walking back from imre and had to jump into the river yeah so it's leaving like scars and burns and marks on his body and Simmons very concerned about this. Right. Um, so they start talking about, like, what could be going on. They're still... I mean, obviously, Malfeasance has not crossed their minds yet because it's not allowed. It's just not done. Yeah. And then, so... Um, but all, then... All of a sudden, he's reaching for his shirt and his arm literally just starts, like, bleeding. Like, as if a cut, like... There's, like, a puncture wound in his arm. Like, it's like somebody voodooed him. Yeah. So, which is exactly what somebody's doing. And he starts bleeding and, like, Simon is so shocked at this point. Yes. And I think they're all pretty shocked. Um, and so Kavot just literally, like, digs deep into the heart of Stone and just, like, putting up a protective barrier of, on himself. I think he says he binds his mind, or he breaks his mind into three. Yeah. And, like, leaves at least one to two, like, protections up at all time. Right. And so, Kavolt is like, I'm fine. And, like, poor Sim, just, like, so kind of, like, sheltered in a way, because he's like, how could you be fine? Like, he's, like, He wears his heart on his sleeve, yeah. for sure. Like, oh, Kvothe, you're not okay. And he's like, well, at least now I know, like, what's causing all this, and there's, like, a sense of control in the situation. Yeah, like, it's malfeasance. They've now realized. Yeah, and so at least now, like, it's not something crazy as if, like, he exposed himself to bad chemicals or he something. He says he's almost relieved. Yeah. Like, despite the fact that this is, like, a horrifically illegal thing to do, he knows what it is, and it's not something he did to himself, and it's not something that's, like, irreversible. Yeah. And so 
um he was like you know at least now it's just someone trying to kill me like <laughs> i can figure this out basically right versus like an unknown poison trying to kill me right very different situation and so they're trying to be like who would have your blood and they're trying to think about what simon did with Kavos bandages and dressings and things from when he fell off the roof and oh he's a little offended because will asks him and he's like i burned them i'm not an idiot but will's being very methodical about this whole situation yes, which to his credit is smart he's very level-headed right here which is like very very helpful and, and even, going through every possibility but obviously we all know Kavoth has given devi his blood <laughs> yes and eventually the conversation comes to that but at first they're like what about the roofing tile like it hit your head like could it be that um could it be something from the medica like what could it be right and so they're kind of like reviewing all their options and so um they're saying like even if this was ambrose like it's never directly ambrose he always like pays someone off in order to like make something happen like like with not the, directly him the golden but someone, pony bought the golden pony to kick Kavoth out or someone hired thugs in order to like try and kill Kavoth or right it's never directly Ambrose and it's usually like multiple steps away from Ambrose which is really smart on his part unfortunately for Kavoth and our our group but it's going to be really difficult for them to pinpoint it to Ambrose Mm. but then it all comes out that Kavoth gave his blood to Devi yes and, and at first, they don't realize who that is. Yeah, they're like, who's Debbie? And then he's like, trying to explain, like, she's a gala, you know, copper hawk, that kind of thing. And they're like, why would you do that? And it's like, because I'm broke. <laughs> yeah, I'm poor. But then Simmons like, oh, you mean demon Debbie? Yeah. She got expelled my first semester for malfeasance. And so they're both immediately convinced that it's her. Yeah, and then Willem and two... Again, his credit being so calm, rational, methodical, he's mm-hmm. like, think about your last conversation with this Debbie. What were you talking about? And he's like, um, she wanted a particular piece of information. He's like, well, how interested was she in this? Very. And how did it go? Not great. And it's like, okay, this is all like, kind of looking we're really pulling bad. teeth here and you're going to need to give us a little bit more information if you want us to help you. <laughs> Yeah. And so, so he reveals that she had offered to sleep with him. And we all know that the information that she had wanted was access to the archives. Through the under thing. Correct. Yes. Um, and Kvothe obviously has not given her that. So they're pretty convinced that she's gotten angry and has turned against him. Yeah. And there is this cool little um, gossip point that comes out. They're like, Debbie's really dangerous. She's like, no one to like mess with. And apparently Sim says... That she can do an eight-part binding. Yeah. What a flex. So I know. cool. Kvo said, what, five? Yeah. A challenger. And so he's kind of just like, well, you know, we don't have time to, like, worry about this right now. Like, I'll have a conversation with her eventually about this. But for now, I just need to, you know, take care of myself. Yeah, and, so, and Sim's like, well, you can't friends. leave yeah. and be by yourself. Kvothe reveals that he's been having his ALR up this entire time. He's like, I've already warded off two attacks. We were just chatting here. So he's clearly like got that under control. But but then they're like, what are you going to do when you're asleep? Right. And so he's like, oh. Yeah, that small detail. <laughs> and so forever the good friends are like, I guess I'll expect you in my rooms this evening. Yes, very polite and dignified about it. Yeah, like homie sleepover. So, 
And so uh, Kavoth is, like, embarrassed but thankful and, like, happy that his friends are, like, willing to, like, help him out. Honestly, though, he always says better friends than he deserves. And I'm really starting to think about it. Like, they are offering to, like, keep watch over him as he sleeps and, like, sacrifice their own sleep for him. Like, this is technically not their problem. As no. far as they're concerned, Kvothe got himself into this mess with Devi. It's his mistake that he gave her his blood, like, something he really shouldn't have done. They could easily just walk away from this and be like, you're on your own, pal. Yeah. You absolutely. messed up. And they they are not. Um, But, yeah, Kvothe agrees that he'll meet up with them later once he's cleaned himself up. But what he does is he actually goes over the rooftops um yeah because at first he's heading towards uh coin hall like the hall of the winds because mm-hmm. he was gonna just put his blood on some leaves in case somebody was attempting to douse him out right and you know avoid people finding him he's still convinced i think that it's ambrose trying to find the thief mm. so he's expecting that the next thing that's going to happen is that they're going to use his blood to douse him and find him so yeah this is his way to like evade yep yeah, put out different, um, like, like fake versions. Yeah, so people start following leaves instead of him. But um, right. as he gets out there, it's, like, just about raining and storming, and a big thunderstorm is rolling on in. Yeah, so there's, like, lightning flashing. It looks very spooky, and Ari's up there. And she sees Kvothe, and he's nervous about her seeing him, like, all covered in blood. He's also got, like... Hardly any clothes on, so he doesn't want to startle her. But the lightning flashes, and she sees him, and she's like, Oh, Kavoth, you look like one of the Cyridae, which are the emir that... Um, like the highest the ranking. The highest ranking emir that used to, like, tattoo their arms, and I guess the, like, markings of his blood and stuff looked like that to her. So yeah. he's very intrigued by this. And he wasn't thinking. Yep. He forgets his one rule with Ari, or one of his few rules with Ari, which is don't ask questions. He says, how do you know about the Cyridae? And just like that, she disappears. Yeah, a frightened rabbit just running off. Yeah. <sighs> Chapter 24, Clinks. Don't worry, Ari's back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he stands kind of up on roof- the rooftops, like not knowing what to do for a second until he's like, well, I should probably at least like go to Mains where I usually meet up with Ari just to see if she's there. And thankfully she is. She was definitely scared. And oh, and it's so sad. She's like sobbing and crying by herself. And she's like, don't, I don't like telling. Like, yeah, it's, so it's just sad. heartbreaking. And I think literally the line in there is like a piece of his heart like chipped off when like he saw her so upset. Oh, yeah. It froze my heart solid and broke off a piece of it. Ugh. Very poetic. Mm. Very sad. But he... He makes amends by asking a very safe question, which is, what were you doing out on top of things tonight? And he knows that she's answered this question many times. Um, so she says she was looking at the lightning. And <laughs> she gives this really funny answer. He asks what was in the lightning, you know, as they as they always do. And she yeah. goes, galvanic ionization. So something, I think that's a remnant of information from when she was a student. But yes. then she jumps on to say, like, oh, and river ice. And the sway a cattail makes. Mm. Um she asks both what he was doing, all crazy and mostly naked up on the roofs. And naked. he's <laughs> naked. He said he was looking for a place to put his blood. And she ironically says, most people keep that inside of themselves. Yeah, it was actually kind of a clever joke on her part. Yeah, I like that. But she says, um, she 
understands this immediately, which lends so much mysterium to, like, Ari's knowledge and why she has this knowledge. Yeah, because he's like, I think people might be after me. And so... I think he just says, I'm looking for a place to put my blood. Mm. Oh, no, you're right. He says some of you might be looking for me. But then she immediately goes, oh, okay, and, like says he should come to Clink's with her, which is a place he hasn't been. Yeah. And she says it's a very personal place. So it's not really immediately clear why it's a personal place to Ari. And there's a lot of speculation as to, like, is she also using Clink's to hide her identity? Mm. Is Clink something else to her? Like, what could be going on? Um, I have no answers. It was just a lot of speculation I came across on when I was doing some research. Um so she brings Kavoth down into the Underthing and again mentions that he looks like a Cyridae and says, Ivare inim yuge, which roughly from like fake Latin Greek translates to for the greater good. So she knows what the Amir are all about. And she brings them all the way down through the Underthing down to, as she said, um, Clinks. And it's this interesting place where like a stairway goes down into the water and the water's all, like, swirly, and there's eddies in it, and there's different bottles, and she just picks up the bottles, and they put, um, oh, he mentions that one of the bottles looks like it may have held Brayden beer, so I think it's the one he gave her recently. Mm. They put his blood and some hair inside, and even Ari's like, make sure you put hair in, so she knows exactly what is going on. Yeah. And they stop her up the bottles. Um, she says they need to have at least four, so that at least two of them are always gone. It's, yeah, there's like, so much question I have about how she knows all of this and yeah. why. Um, but yeah, basically, it's a really clever way to fool someone, fool people who are going to be dousing out both. And just very cute. She finishes up by just saying, "That's good. We're safe." And to wrap up this chapter and the episode, Kvoth gets himself all the way back to Willem's room, and Will and Sim take turns watching over Kvothe for many nights to come, keeping them safe with their Alar. And like I said, that's when he mentions they were the best sort of friends, the sort everyone hopes for, but no one deserves. Least of all, me. Ugh. I swear. If anything ever happens to them, I'll be so heartbroken. You better prepare yourself. I think, as Kvothe has warned this many, many times, is this a is a tragedy. And so far, not too much tragedy has occurred. No. In the second book. The first book, obviously, with his family and Tarbian is definitely a tragic time in his life, but in terms of, like, a traditional Greek tragedy, all the bad stuff happens at the end. Yeah, so. So. Buckle up. Day three is going to be real sad. Going to be the worst day ever. (laughs) Aw. So, that pretty much wraps up where we are in this set of chapters. Um, Next week, we'll be exploring chapters 25 through maybe 32. Mm, Maybe 30. Yeah, we'll see where where we end up. The chapters are so dense. Like, Mm. I know we said 18 through 24 is six chapters. It really seemed like so much happened in these between, like, the Aeolian and... Jenna in the first chapter and then like all the way through like Alcadal and like there was just like so much in these chapters. Yeah, it was action packed. It was a good set of chapters. Yeah, a very good set of chapters and like it really starts this whole plotline going of Kavoth and the Malfeasans and how that's going to play out. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much everybody for 
enjoying our anniversary episode last week, and we're really glad to be back to our regularly regularly scheduled readings. Um, And until then, happy reading! Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.